Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you this morning on this Palm Sunday at the start of Holy Week, um, the week when we remember uh, the events surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll be here next week celebrating Easter Sunday, um, but before that, uh, we have the whole week to go through of hospitality and also then of services towards the end of the week, particularly on Good Friday. Lovely to see you if you're new here. By the way, I'm the vicar here. Tom Parsons is my name. And again, greetings to you on the live stream if you're watching. It's great that you've joined us. A short prayer before we begin to look at this momentous trial. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A court case. Sometimes a court case can make the central issue very clear. One of my favorite examples of this, well, it's not, it's a horrific example, was the case, um, it's known as Gregson v. Gilbert. 250 years ago, it took place in this country, and it concerned a slave ship. The ship was called the Zong. 133 enslaved people were massacred on board that vessel because the ship's fresh water supplies had run low. Now, the captain of that ship, his name was Luke Collingwood, and his crew and the ship's owners should have been on trial for mass murder. But they weren't. Do you know what this case was? It was an insurance hearing. And suddenly... The British public, in a new way, became aware of the central evil, or one of the central evils of the slave trade. That these infinitely precious human persons were being treated as property, chattels. Suddenly the issue was very clear and public opinion swung massively as a result of that trial in favour to the side of abolition which of course didn't happen, shamefully, until several, uh, three decades later. Well, the trial of Jesus Christ before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, clarifies not just an issue of extreme importance for humanity, such as that case in 1781. No, this case clarifies the issue, the ultimate issue that faces the entire human race. This single case is so compelling that nobody can be neutral if they understand the full significance of what happened in it. Now, you see, this trial, it must be, it can only be of such great significance, it, it must be, if the man on trial here, Jesus, is the fully divine Son of God, our Maker, if it was our Maker, God the Son, in that dock, then this trial must be the defining trial of human history. Now, I've used, I, 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 I used the word if. I said if. It is God who stands in the dock. If it is the eternal Son of God in that dock, 
As we'll see in a few minutes, that actually is the ultimate issue at stake in this trial, is the question of Jesus' identity. Is it the Son of God who stands in the dock? Is it the one who is equal to God the Father, fully divine, or isn't it? Jesus' trial before Pilate forces us, forces everybody who knows about this trial to answer that question one way or the other. There can be no neutrality. There can be no sitting on the fence once you know what was at stake in this court case. Now, you may be brand new to this story, and in that case, I'm thrilled you're hearing it. Let me explain what Jesus is doing in front of the Roman governor of Judea. Pontius Pilate was his name. He never flew a plane, but that's his name. Now, the reason that Jesus is there before Pilate is because the Romans are in charge. The, the people of, of, um, of, of Judea were under the authority of the Roman Empire, and the Jewish leaders have decided that Jesus has got to die. The only thing is that they have no right to impose the death penalty that they want. So they have to go to the Roman governor to rubber stamp their decision to crucify Jesus. Well, they stand outside the palace, and Pilate comes out to meet them and to ask what charge these people have against Jesus. By the way, do follow it in the Bible if you, if you, if you want to. I urge you to, because you can then see it. It's on page 1191 of the Bibles, page 1191. And you'll see, you'll be able to follow it through and see what's going on. So page 119, sorry, sorry, what am I talking about? 1189, I'm having some serious number issues here. 1189 in the Bibles. Um, 1189. So Pilate comes out, he says, what charge have you got against this man Jesus? Now they don't want to tell him what their problem is, as we'll discover, so they shrug off his question. If you look at verse 30, um, the little number 30, look at verse 30. Jesus say, uh, Pilate says, uh, sorry, I'm losing my marbles this morning. The Jewish leaders say, if he were not a criminal, we would not have brought him to you. They don't like Pilate. They shrug him off. And Pilate just wants them to go away. He says to them, look, you judge him by your law. He says to them, but that is not going to get Pilate anywhere. So the Jewish leaders get straight to the point and they say, look, we've got no right to execute anybody. And Pilate's night suddenly gets an awful lot more complicated. Because he is going to have to judge whether or not to crucify this man who he doesn't know and he doesn't care about. So he leaves the Jewish leaders outside and he leads Jesus into his palace to interview him. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate says to Jesus. It seems that Pilate had heard enough about Jesus to know that that's what he said about himself. Now, of course, that's a sensible question for a politician to ask, a political leader, because after all, if Jesus thinks he's a king, then Pilate can charge him and crucify him for rebellion, sedition, treason. Well, Jesus, he says, are you a king or not? Yes, Jesus is a king. Verse 36, chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus says these very famous words, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, 
my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. So Pilate thinks he's getting somewhere. He is a king then. Ah, but now, suddenly he's baffled by what Jesus says next. Verse 37. You're, you're right in saying I'm a king, says Jesus. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So just when Pilate thinks he has something to pin on Jesus, he realizes that he has nothing. A, a king of truth? Pilate thinks it's ridiculous. And in frustration, he asks that famous question, what is truth? What is it? Truth? Truth is irrelevant, said Pilate. Truth no threat. Truth doesn't fund an army. Truth doesn't fight a battle. Truth has no money. Who cares what is and isn't true? Pilate doesn't. This hard-edged, cutthroat, real world doesn't care what is or is not true. So Pilate looks at Jesus and thinks, well, you say you're a king, but I mean, the king of truth, so what? It's nothing. Powerless. Which, of course, if you think about it, is, is ignorant, isn't it? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Soviet-era writer, said, one word of truth outweighs the world. And Pilate didn't realize that less than 300 years after this encounter, the very emperor of Rome would bow the knee to Jesus. He couldn't foresee that. In that moment, he sees nothing to concern him. And so he goes back outside again to the Jews, out of the palace, and meets them again, and he announces to them, he says, I find no basis for a charge against him, verse 38. Which, in any real court of law or to end the proceedings. No case to answer. Thrown out. But Pilate doesn't want to upset the Jewish leaders who are demanding the death penalty. And Pilate's a politician. So he, he thinks that he's found a way for everybody to win because every year at the Passover he releases a prisoner as an act of goodwill. And so he hopes that if he offers the Jews this, the Jewish leaders, that they will choose to release Jesus of their own accord. But the plan backfires spectacularly because they refuse to release Jesus, but instead demand the freedom of a convicted rebel by the name of Barabbas. Just think of it. Pilate is now bound to release a dangerous man. Extraordinarily ironic. A man who is in immediate danger. Meanwhile, Jesus is taken back into the, well, Jesus has always been there. The, the scene changes back into the Pilate's uh, palace um, where Jesus, the innocent Jesus, is flogged. A punishment that could in itself induce death, the Roman flogging. And uh, it's all part of Pilate's a plan, of course, to get himself off the hook because he thinks, well, if I give this man a good flogging, that might satisfy the Jewish leadership and might quieten down their demands for his death. And the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, think the whole thing's hilarious as well because, they, well, they, they, they pick up on that phrase, the king of the Jews. And so they make a crown of thorns and they put it on his head, a purple robe, 
all tokens of royalty, but mocking, deriding Jesus' claim. And they pay mock homage to him, and they batter him. So we'll wonder if that'll satisfy the religious leadership. Well, Pilate again comes out with Jesus this time, declares Jesus to be innocent, and then presents Jesus to the crowd with yet more very famous words. Behold the man, he says, verse 5, chapter 19, verse 5. Here is the man, behold the man. Pilate's pleading with them, really, saying, just look at him. Is this man a threat to you? This stooped, bleeding, bloodied man? What threat's he to you? But Pilate's plan fails. Chapter 19, verse 6, the intensity of the Jewish leader's demands, it cranks up another gear. And the, and the moment they see Jesus, crucify him, they shout, crucify him. For a third time, Pilate says, why? He hasn't done anything. For a third time, that's third time Pilate declares Jesus' innocence. Well, the Jewish leaders are now getting desperate. And that's why they decide, at last, in this trial, finally to acknowledge what the real issue is. This is what's really bothering them about Jesus. It turns out that actually their problem with Jesus is not political. Their problem is theological. Their problem is to do with the law and the nature of God. That's their problem. Verse 7. We have a law, they say. And according to that law, he must die because he claims to be the son of God. That's the issue. Now Pilate realizes in that moment what he's up against. It suddenly dawns on him that it makes no difference what he says. It makes no difference whether or not he declares Jesus innocent. These Jewish leaders believe that Jesus has committed blasphemy against Almighty God by declaring himself to be the Son of God. They are not going to drop it. So again, Pilate takes Jesus back inside the palace because maybe he thinks one more questioning will buy some time. Maybe it will shed some light. Jesus stands before him, gives no answer. So Pilate threatens him in an attempt to get him to talk. Maybe, he, Pilate says to him, verse 10, don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Well, Jesus could easily have pointed out that in fact Pilate doesn't have any such power. Pilate cannot release Jesus. That's the whole point. He's given up that power in a desire to please the Jewish leaders. But that's not how Jesus addresses this man, Pilate, who, let's face it, Pilate is the ultimate example of uh, being in the wrong job, <laughs> on the wrong shift, <laughs> at the wrong time. See, verse 11, Jesus' words to Pilate, he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. 
Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. See, Pilate was a man in a job. He had received authority from Caesar in Rome. Ultimately, he had received authority under God in heaven. That's, that's the, the, always the case. Now, he's certainly not using his power properly. He's abusing his power, and for that, he will be held guilty. But, at least he is performing a legitimate function. He has got a duty to perform. He didn't choose to become infamous the world over. We, we'll say it later in our service. I said it in an earlier communion service this morning. And billions of Christians throughout history and across the world have said the words, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. We say it week after week after week. Pilate didn't seek that. It was thrust upon him unexpectedly because of the political position that he held in that moment. But the Jewish leaders who handed Jesus over to Pilate, well, their guilt was of an altogether greater order. They initiated Jesus' death actively. Pontius Pilate knew nothing of his accountability to the living God. They did. Pilate had not seen Jesus feed the 5,000. They had not seen Jesus heal a man born blind. They had not seen Jesus raise a man from the grave. That, rather, rather, Pilate hadn't seen all that. They had. The Jewish leaders had seen all of that. The Jewish leaders had heard the claims that Jesus made. They'd heard him claim to be the fully divine son of God, the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life. Now, it's fair to say that if Jesus had said all of that and provided no evidence that it was true, then fair enough. He's, he's a blasphemer to say such things. He is. But he had given them astounding evidence. And that is what this trial is fundamentally about. Who is Jesus? When he claims, which he does often in different ways, to be the Son of God, the eternal creator in human form, is he speaking the truth? Or is he speaking blasphemy, for which God's law rightly sentences him to death? Well, more of that in a moment when I've come to sum up. But for now... We need to follow this trial to its bitter end. So Pilate tries one more time to release the innocent man. But the Jewish leaders now make their checkmate move as they stand before the palace. They turn the attack directly on Pilate. Verse 12. Suddenly Pilate is in the hot seat. Verse 12. Pilate, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Oh, so clever. Because until now, Pilate has been representing Caesar's power, but suddenly Caesar's power is turned like a gun onto Pilate himself. Caesar, the most powerful man in the world, the source of your power, Pilate, what will he think of you, Pilate, if he hears that you've neglected to punish a man who claimed to be a king 
under your jurisdiction. What will Caesar say? Pontius Pilate. Well, Pilate's not a man of truth. Truth is nothing to him. Power is everything. And to keep power, he's going to have to bin the truth. Jesus must be crucified. And so he brings Jesus to a place of judgment, the stone pavement, Gabbatha is its name in Aramaic. And he presents to the Jewish leadership, says, here is your king. You really, will you crucify your king? The cries only intensify. Crucify, crucify, they keep coming. Shall I crucify your king? Says Pilate in frustration. And Israel's leaders then respond with words that the leaders of God's chosen people should never have uttered. Wasn't the Lord the true king of Israel? They are the ones committing blasphemy when they say these devastating words at the end of the trial. We have no king but Caesar. It is breathtaking hypocrisy, given that they're accusing Jesus of blasphemy. They've just disowned the Lord as their king. And with that, the innocent Jesus is led away to be crucified. Now, this case leaves us stunned, or at least it should. Here is our maker in the dock. And look what happens. He is sentenced to be he is sentenced to be crucified in what everybody knew full well to be a travesty, a miscarriage of justice. The whole system that condemns him is exposed. Rome's political power, it's corrupt. Its judicial authority bankrupt. The Jewish leadership, hypocritical. And Jesus is the victim of all of this, yet perhaps you can see that as his enemies blunder around in the darkness of deceit and violence and cowardice and hatred, Jesus is actually shining more and more brightly. Now I don't just mean there that his character shines more brightly. Or that his answers are deep and powerful, which they are. What I mean is that he gives us yet more evidence through this trial that he is who he's always claimed to be. The eternal, fully divine son of God in human flesh. Many times he told his disciples that he was destined to be crucified. He was determined that this should happen at Passover. And all these events are actually achieving exactly that outcome. Though he appears to be the victim. But he is ruling over these weak, wicked human beings. And if there's any doubt at the trial that that's true, just wait until God the Father gives his verdict on Easter Sunday, when this man, Jesus, this God-man, is raised from the dead, confirming all that he said, that he is the eternal Son of God.
the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection, and the life. So back to the central issue. Remember, a trial can make the issues very, very clear. Who is Jesus? Now, humanly speaking, Jesus was crucified because the Jewish leaders rejected his claim to be God's son. But were they right? What do you think? You can't say neutral. What do you think? When Jesus says to Pilate, everyone on the side of truth listens to me, is he lying? Or are the Jewish leaders lying when they say that he deserves to die? What's the truth here? It would actually be catastrophic to get this wrong. We have to answer this. Because if Jesus is the divine king of truth, If that's who he is, and we ignore, overlook, or refuse him, then what does that make us? People of the lie. People of the darkness. So who is right here? Who's right? Who's got it? Is Jesus right? Or the Jewish leaders? Well, Jesus certainly has virtue on his side. I think, if I'm honest, even if Jesus was wrong, I'd rather be wrong with Jesus than right with Pilate and Caiaphas. Thankfully, that's not a choice we have to make because he also has all the evidence on his side. Miraculous works before this. Resurrection after it. The central issue is very clear. Remember those women and men thrown to their death in the slave ships of Zong. The issue was very clear. Those precious men and women were persons worthy of infinite respect. How could you not side with that after that trial of the Zong? Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King of truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to him. How can you not side? Side with him. With everything you've got. With everything I've got. Flee the darkness, Tom. Flee the darkness, you. Whoever you are, wherever you are. Your future. Put it on his side. Give it to him. Your money. Let him use it. Your your relationships. Let him shape them. Your abilities. Let him use them. Side with him. The world is exposed after this trial. It's an empty sham and shell. Jesus is the king of truth. There's no room for neutrality after this trial central issue is very, very clear. Everyone on the side of truth says Jesus listens to me. Come to him as we pray. Many of us underline our commitment to you, Lord Jesus, now in this prayer. Asking that you would banish all that is of the darkness 
that you would show us, Jesus, that the world in all its pomp and show would not hold the attraction that it does typically in our hearts. Siding with Jesus, give us life in him as we believe. We pray for those who've never even realized there's a decision to be made here. Spirit of God, impress it on those friends this morning and draw them too to the side of Jesus, to the side of truth. For we ask it in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.